The people say that you know Web3 doesn't solve a problem and it's looking for a use case. Technically, they might be true if they're talking about the technical implications. But if they're talking about the values, they're just wrong. Like there, there's a lot of really, really, really positive things here that we need to solve for. Trust and ownership being probably the two biggest. Welcome to Airdrop, the show that'll help you understand what NFTs are, how they work, how to use them, and all that good stuff. I'm Rallyon, and I'm here with the wonderfully whimsical Phosphorus, and today we're talking with Alexander Blocks. Alexander is an entrepreneur and a CTO of his own company, GMTM Sports. So GMTM Sports basically helps athletes get noticed by coaches and camps and schools so they can like get recruited and you know move up their athletic career. But when COVID happened, well, the whole world kind of shut down. And so then his clients started asking him, what about this NFT thing is happening, right? It was all around that same time that, you know, NFT summer was kind of just taking off. And so they asked him and Alexander really didn't know what to say. So he did what any good entrepreneur would do. And he started making NFTs so he could tell his clients how NFTs work and how they could use them. So Alexander makes generative art. And what that means is he writes code that then creates these different images and patterns and stuff. Basically, he tells the code what to do, and then when you plug a random number into it or something, it creates this piece of work. And his work specifically makes these NFTs that are like these mosaics of color, um, and he uses these rounded rectangle shapes. It's, it's kind of hard to explain in words, but when you see it, it's just, oh my god. Which is why, if you need to see these images, we'll have all links in the description so you can look at them. Because this is something you kind of got to look at. Yeah, I got a little lost while we were interviewing him, looking at the images. <laughs> yeah, so if you're watching on YouTube, I put the images on the screen so you'll be able to see what we're looking at. So today we're diving into how Alexander felt when he first learned that his collection of 2,500 NFTs sold out in a day. We're talking about how he makes his generative art. And lastly, we're going to dive into some of our more cynical views about Web3, which, to be honest, was kind of a refreshing take. Yeah, that was that was a really fun part of the conversation. And, you know, we talk about a whole lot more than just that. Also, did you know that there's an easy way for you to help more creatives understand how to use NFTs? For every five-star rating and review we get, the algorithm knows that this podcast, Airdrop, is one that people really enjoy and they get a lot of value from. The deal is, if you do that, we'll make sure we get the best guests and together we can learn how NFTs work for our creative careers, our businesses, and our lives. And if you're following an incredible project that's pushing the bounds of creativity and using NFTs, I want to know about it. We want to know about it. I'm sure Rallyan wants to know about it. Oh, I definitely want to know about it. The easiest way to let us know is through Twitter. So make sure you follow Airdrop on Twitter at Airdrop Show and let us know who we should be talking to. All right. With all that said, Let's drop in. All right, Alexander, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you uh, for having me. Excited. Awesome. We are also excited. I think this is going to be a really good conversation. We're going to start it by asking the same question we always ask everybody that comes on the show. And that question is, can you explain NFTs 
in the simplest possible way, like you were talking to your mom or your grandma or someone who has no context? Yeah, I love this question because we're, we're probably all doing it a little bit different. I would say that it's kind of like a file format more than anything. It can be a lot of different things. Oh. So to say an NFT is this, you know, I think is is a bit too simple. I think it's a, a way of storing data. In this case, it's either on-chain data or, or pointers to off-chain data. In the context of art, which is sort of where I live right now, you know, when you go to like a, a local art fest, whatever neighborhood thing going on, there's local artists everywhere. And then the print of a piece of art might be 25 bucks, 50 bucks or whatever. And then the original is like $2,000. You're like, oh my God. I see NFTs as that original in the world of digital art, right? So like you can right click and save and that's your print. And that, you know, it's worth you know, maybe a little bit to somebody if you turn it into a physical thing. But the original signed version is going to be that NFT. It's kind of like you can have a picture of Starry Night, but that doesn't mean you own Starry Night. If you've ever been to a college dorm room, plenty of people have Starry Night up on the wall or, or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever else. For some they're... reason, it's always you that painting. I mean? Yeah, right. It's always it's always that painting. That's what they sell. And like the, the, the little poster thing that shows up at the student union or whatever. It's kind of like that. So when I issue an NFT, I see that as like the original signed one versus like the the prints that that might exist or you know something like that for for an analogy i really like that that's that's really good it is always starry night why is that it's so it's starry night or like a poster from pulp fiction oh yeah like but but there's like five of them that like you can predict and I, i bet it maps to personality types too i bet we can come at it that way Oh, for sure. But that's a whole other episode. Yeah, we're <laughs> that's a whole, whole different podcast, man. So I first, Alexander, stumbled upon your work as I was going through Stacks, and I would see this mosaic, it would have looked like, of these different shapes yep. all put together. And I did some digging. I was like, what is this? What's going on? And you make generative art. Could yep. you kind of explain what generative art is? Yeah. There's probably three categories that come to mind. Generative art is anything that's either automated or semi-automated within art, right? So it doesn't have to be code to be generative. In fact, Dial, the stuff that Dial is doing, I think he uses sound or or something like that. I, I actually see that as generative. Now, within generative art, though, you have algorithmic art. And algorithmic art is software. Right, speaking. And then within algorithmic art, you have uh, computer assisted art. So, like one of my collections was Reinvention, and it takes an NFT in your wallet and, and kind of spins it out into this new thing, right? That's computer assisted algorithmic art. Blocks is literally just a bunch of code that spits out all these crazy uh, looking things. Frontier was my attempt to like kind of do both. It was like two projects in one. But I use, the short answer is I use software to create stuff. So the art isn't just the output, it's the actual code that I'm writing that does it. So you're not drawing anything, you're not laying anything out or like picking colors. You just put in the code (laughs) and it spits out images. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll focus on composition. With Frontier, I did like an illustration on my iPad and then I used code to create what is in essence a digital kaleidoscope on top. So the idea is the further I got away from that core idea at the bottom, the more complex it was and the more hard uh, it was to see. So I actually wrote a Medium post on that, comparing it to entrepreneurship, which I am an entrepreneur. You know, I have a startup. And, and when you're going through it, sometimes you don't necessarily know the destination. You can't really see it. You just know the direction. Frontier was my super sort of artsy fartsy abstract way of expressing that yeah i'm looking at frontier and blocks right now really cool 
<laughs> and you know, like I'm, Appreciate I'm that. hearing you talk about frontier and how, how it all works, you know, having like that illustration. And then it's almost like the code is generating these like peek through stencil kind of things on top of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's a surprising amount of variation for, you know, what is ultimately a simple idea. And then of course, cause I, that's not good enough for me. That frontier is actually most code. <laughs> oh, it, where, so okay. Blocks is actually binary. A lot of people uh, miss that. The blocks that are, have colored backgrounds are one, and the the white backgrounds are, are zeros. So a lot of my artwork actually has this like extra dimension of of being this super nerdy thing that you can decode. Okay, I need to stop looking because <laughs> did, did I just go too far? Did I take it too far? No, no, that was. Yeah. That was great. I'm saying I need to stop looking at these because I'm going to forget to keep doing this interview because <laughs> I've already favorited a couple of hey, them here. Appreciate um, that, man. I'm all, all about that rabbit hole. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I wanted to just ask you, tell me about that first <laughs> NFT that you created. Like, how did you yeah. how did you find this? How did you find Web3? When did you know you wanted to, like, I'm going to make an NFT? Like, when did that happen? All right. So, a little backstory. I'm, I'm just kind of a tried and true computer nerdy programmer guy. I started coding in the eight, 1980s with C. I've come up through the internet. I've come up with this kind of stuff. I consider it part of my job to live at the forefront and at least know what's coming. I might be skeptical, and, and there's certain aspects of Web3 that I'm, I'm still very much skeptical about, but I consider it part of my job to understand it. At a, and not just understand it at a superficial level, but really understand it. And the only way to do that for me is is to you know jump in and start building and, and breaking things. NFTs were kind of that. So separately, I was diagnosed as dyslexic when I was a kid. That's how I got into computers. It was 1980s, so it was early, and I had to change schools to somebody who would let me type stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I, that's that's largely how I ended up programming. And one of the ways I started programming is by learning how to make art with the computer. I'm a very creative guy. I you know I see things, but I between the dyslexia and w- what is undiagnosed, but likely now in hindsight, something called dysgraphia, where I, I have trouble putting thoughts to my hands, like not with typing, but like I have a lot of trouble drawing and, and writing things. Computers became my way of being really creative. And and for a while I wanted to be a designer and I'd, you know, I'd carry a little portfolio stuff and all that kind of stuff. But then I go into engineering, I become an engineer. I do some of that for fun or whatever. During the pandemic, things got crazy. My day job is I'm a co-founder of a sports startup. As most people know, sports were shut down for two years, largely globally. That was really tough. Started being creative as a way of like kind of handling that anxiety of freaking, you know, just getting through it basically. Meanwhile, we had a lot of people, a lot of customers asking us about NFTs because NFTs and sports are kind of a natural pairing. And I needed to learn more about it. I was familiar with crypto. You know, I've been following Bitcoin from probably about 2011. So I was early on that. I didn't really invest heavily into it, but, you know, just playing with it and following it uh, and kind of felt you know, behind on, on some of the Web3 and NFT aspects. So I re- reached out to the Boom Wallet guys. I reached out to Gary over at Hey Larry. I also reached out to StaxArt. Uh, StaxArt at the time was really the the only in-market marketplace. I think Gary was building still and Boom, you know, they were flirting with stuff and they, they had ways to create stuff. But StaxArt was actually selling stuff. Reached out to see if they had an API we may be able to use just to, to have a comp against what HeyLayer was doing. They did not, but they were like, you know, uh, we just, this is what we're doing. We just put up art up. And I was like, hey, well, I, I do some things, you know, sometimes. Could Maybe I send you some of my art and, and if it's a fit, let me know. They said, sure. I sent them a, a early rendition on blocks and we're really excited about it, which kind of surprised me. 
And then I was thinking, okay, it'll be like a small collection, whatever. And they're like, no, we want 2,500 of them. Generated 2,500 of them. And then, you know, I sent them over the files. I put it up. I went about my day. I came home that night and they had sold out. And, uh, you know, there's all these people asking me questions about it and more. And, wow. You know, just kind of this wild sort of thing. I had never, I had never considered doing art in, in any sort of professional or semi-professional thing. It was just something I was doing to, to clear my head. It, it keeps my fingers busy. It helps me practice code. And I get these sort of visions of stuff and these designs and code is how I make them real. Frontier came pretty soon after that. Part of that was it was an idea that was stuck in my head. And in order to get it out of my head, I have to build the thing that's in there. But I remember telling my wife, I'm like, look, the first one, there's a lot of timing in that. It's early in stacks, you know, who knows? But if I can do it again, right? Like if, if people like Frontier too, then, you know, maybe maybe there's something here. And then we put up Frontier and blocks sold out in hours. Frontier sold out in minutes. You know, I think it was a single block. Wow. And at that point, I was like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I can do this. And I've been steering into it and trying to get better and trying to push myself, you know, every, every Sunday, mostly every Sunday is, is kind of art day. And that's, that's when I play. That's incredible. I love that you just needed to try it out just to see what's all this about yeah. so you can use it for, you know, life and business and as things happen. And you just kind of stumbled into this. Like if people are going to come to me and ask me questions and treat me like an authority on it because of my role, I need to actually be an authority on it right right like, so <laughs> otherwise you're just kind of kind of making it up and I, that, that's not my style so, you know i dove in and, and what i found though is a tremendous community i've made a lot of friends i like to think my art is is evolving and, and improving and getting better and i'm having a lot of fun and it, you know really from an art therapy point of view you know i found a, a, a lot of value in, in that i've always sought creative endeavors for that but now you know now it's interactive now there's a feedback loop to it instead of like me building like a blocks prototype and just be like, okay, that's cool. Then I throw it in a folder and I ignore it. Now I'm able to put something on Twitter or release something. I have a new collection called Sketchbook, which is like just one of one like ideas that are in my head and then get immediate feedback on it and build that community. And that's been really enjoyable. Like, you know, I've been issuing physical prints with Sketchbook. And IceArc.bcc bought the second one. It was a, a picture of a bear that I made when the bear market started. That was cool. Uh, and actually it was... Yeah, thank you. But I was actually able to give it to him in person, which was, in my opinion, even cooler, right? We were yeah. able to sit down and get to know one another. And, and I think we just sat there and BSed and, and built a bridge and, and made a friend. And that's what's really cool about the Stacks community, I think. Okay, I'm a little nerding out now. So you're talking about how you putting things from your head through your hands to paper is really hard for you. You use a type and you type it out and you the code, but you're still seeing things visually in your head, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantly. Every time I close my eyes, I have a new idea. So tell me about this process. Like, let's talk about the bear specifically. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that's so different than anything else I've seen with you. Can you go through your process? How do you make images like that? What, what are you doing? So the bear was computer assisted more than like, a, it's not like I typed an algorithm that was like, make me a bear. It's not like Dolly. Um, <laughs> I, I found an image of, I searched through far too many images of bears to find the shape that I wanted. I wanted a, a bear like standing up and like growling kind of, kind of rough idea. And then I started with like an outline of that, if that makes sense. And then once you, once you have like the structure of it, you know, how do you, how do you make it? And you can, you know, if you think of it, like, it's like, um, 
chunky pointillism in a way. So like I, if you're familiar with reinvention, reinvention was a code that everybody was asking me to do more with the blocks design. And I didn't, I didn't want to revisit it exactly. I wanted to try to take the shape of it and, and do something. So reinvention takes an NFT in your wallet and then turns it into like block, like what I call blocks shape, which is like, it's like a square, but with like randomly rounded corners. So you never quite know what you got. Very like Bohas kind of 1960s retro sort of, or sort of look, or, you know, whatever that time period, I guess Bohas was before that, but you know what I mean? That mid-century sort of look. But the bear was kind of like that, but more sloppy. One of the things I, I didn't like about reinvention was it almost wasn't too abstract for me. It was too structured, but it had to be because I was trying to represent something that was in your wallet. With the bear, I had way more freedom to play. So I experimented with different shapes. I experimented with some of them being filled in, some of them not, some of them just being circles, you know, or whatever to come up with something that looks right. And then you're trying to fill in that outline in a way that is visually appealing using randomness, basically. Like what kind of distribution do you want uh, those things to to go? The the I have some stuff coming out, which is a sort of an iteration of the algorithm that made the bear that that is smarter about using different sizes in different places based on the lightness or the darkness that I'm trying to, just like you would in, in, in maybe a more traditional mosaic and, and sort of playing with opacity and stuff like that. But that's sort of the process. Now that it's written, I can build on it and do more and more complex stuff, which is a lot of fun. So at first you had to like write this code out. I started with me drawing like the shape. Once I had the shape, then I was like, okay, how do I translate that to code? That is so cool. I would love to watch a tutorial on how to do that. You just <laughs> explaining it out piece by piece. And I just enraptured watch you do this. One of the, so the way, if you want to get started, there's a book called The Nature of Code. And it's about processing, processing as a framework. Processing was originally created in Java. There's now a JavaScript version of it called p5.js. Uh, really easy framework to get started. But one of those things where like you can just keep going you know, so like you can do basics, you can get far really quick, but then you can just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. So I recommend people check that out, the book and the framework. There's tons of stuff online. You know, for me, what I think separates me from maybe a lot, not all, but a lot of the generative art scene right now is like, you know, it's not a, it's not a new medium. Like you can go back to the 60s and, and find a lot of stuff. A lot of my stuff is heavily influenced uh, by early generative. But we're in that phase where it's just reaching this breakout. And everybody's competing on complexity and technique in a way. And in doing that, sometimes you lose a point of view. And if you think of art as just another way of storytelling, like I love to write, I love to express myself in that form. Art is like visual storytelling. It's like the, the visual component of writing in a way. And some of that has, I think, been lost in generative because people are just trying to be like as complex as possible and as pretty as possible and all that kind of stuff. And you lose a little bit of the soul of the artist because it's not coming through. It's now the soul of the algorithm. And in some cases, that's the point. Like Fidenza's been praised for that. Fidenza is a work by a guy named Tyler Hobbs, who's like the Michael Jordan generative right now. And Fidenza, in a way, it's like you can see the soul of the algorithm. Look what the algorithm did. And that's amazing. It's random and random, random. People push that like really hard. And I think that's an exceptional case of it. But if you can take it a step further and actually try to say something. Frontier was was definitely that. Blocks, I didn't steer into that maybe as hard as I, I would have with what I know now, largely because I didn't think anybody was going to buy any of them. But Blocks, the idea was to take, there's a woman named uh, Vera Molnar, which is like one of the early greats of generative. And she did a lot with squares. And I didn't, you know, I didn't use her kind of squares. I, I made them a little bit more retro. And I was actually aiming for 
a woman named Mary Blair, who's a early Disney artist around that same time. She was the only female Disney artist. Vera was like the only generative female artist or one of them. And how do I like combine those two styles? And that was blocks. And the idea of doing that was it was one of the first generative art collections on stacks. I think it was actually, I think it was the second, the, this is number one had hash or whatever it was called. So that it was like, let's do a throwback piece to, to like reset it in a way. But I had, a, the point is that's a ramble, but the point is I had a point of view, right? I was trying to express a specific idea through the artwork, not just create something that looked kind of funky and cool. You want it to be both, right? You want it to, to stand alone if somebody doesn't know the backstory, but when you can combine those two things, that's when I think it's really powerful. That's amazing. As an artist myself, I'm always trying to find that narrative and find that meaning, even if it starts with just a scribble, right? And that's a really, I don't know, that's kind of like the way to do it, right? So when you're making art through the code, when you're doing this, like creating this beautiful art that you're creating, what is it that you're trying to say? You know, like what is that narrative, you know, in your head when you're putting these these collections together yeah well like everyone's different so you are human was the first sketchbook i did and that was a little bit different i used barcode but they're they're not actually barcodes what they are is base 16 so it's hexadecimal so if you actually count the barcodes and you change that to hexadecimal which is zero through f base 16 counting and then you translate that to ascii it says you are human so it looks like a bunch of barcodes and it's nicely composition, you know, kind of rule of thirds thing going on. You know, it's actually saying something. And the you are human thing, we, this space talks about the metaverse so damn much and respectfully. Yeah, for sure. Respectfully, I'm over it. Like, you know, the metaverse is cool. I love VR, all that kind of stuff. But people who are trying to use technology to replace the world, real world are, in my opinion, kind of missing the point. It's about improving the actual world. So the description of, of you are human was actual verse, you know, greater than metaverse. We should be using our, our superpowers in this world to make the world uh, more fair, more accessible, more equitable, more enjoyable for everyone we can. And I think sometimes that gets lost in translation, right? It's, it's all about how do we create something really addictive so we can pump the price of this or that. And, uh, and I, I think that's, that's wrong, frankly. Yeah. I mean, why do anything if that thing is going to be right. making the world a worse place? Well, like, and, and tech used to be that way. You know, I was on the come up. You know, I was a kid, but I was eighties, and and you know, started my first internet company in ninety three, which was an ISP. And then, you know, I had a company that sold to AOL in two thousand eight, and that got started in I don't know, or four, or four, or five, or six, somewhere in there. And back then, the, you know, this was the sort of the hacker ethos. This was like the, the code of conduct was how do we do this stuff to make the world better? And there was almost like a hippie vibe that was like a through line through it all a little bit. And not left or right hippie vibe, but I mean like altruistic. Somewhere we lost the plot, right? Somewhere it became like, you know, how do we how do we make as much money as possible? I mean, consider one of the biggest tech companies in the world is probably Snapchat, at least from a, a social media standpoint. And that literally was built for teenagers to sext each other with. Like, how sad is that? <laughs> like, that, yeah. that's what we decided to reward. That's the thing that we all got behind. That that wouldn't have happened, you know, in years prior, I think. Some, somewhere we, we lost it. And, and to some extent, Web3, I think, is – and you see this with Stacks, right? You see it in, in how Monib talks about it, where you, you see that altruistic, let's go slow to make the world better kind of approach, which I think is, is one of the things that resonates with me, versus other projects that are just like, 
you know, pump, 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 pump. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I hope Web3 can hold on to that. I hope the, the bear market kind of flushes some of that stuff out a little bit. Yeah, that's and that's what I wanted to ask. Do you think we can establish and then maintain that ethos in Web3? Yeah, I, I do, actually. You know, a lot of, lot of people in my world who, who maybe are a little bit more anti-Web3 disagree. But if you subscribe to the idea as like, look, this is exploratory stuff. It is not yet ready for prime time, but we're going to figure it out together and we're going to go slow and we're going to try some things that are going to work. We're going to try some things that don't and we're going to develop what a sense of this is over time. If you can build a community of people of like minds that you know, believe what we believe, bear market, bull market, all that becomes irrelevant. And I, th- I think you see that in Stacks. I think you see it in the Megapont community, especially. I don't think, you know, the bear market, all these people freaking out right now. I don't think, I don't think the Megapont community has skipped a beat. That's just as vibrant as it's ever been in that, that Discord channel. And, and I think that's, I don't want to say it's unique to Stacks because I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not involved in a lot of other ecosystems, but I, I think it's something special that's about Stacks. Yeah, there is something there. We're in this new technology and you have a very interesting viewpoint because you were there for the dot-com bubble and the hype around that. And there's hype here and now with Web3, almost to the point where you can feel like it's just all pump your bags or it's just, this is we're all going to make it. This is going to be great. We're purposefully missing some of the things that could lead us astray. What are some of the things in your mind, and you feel free to be cynical as you want here, that are leading <laughs> leading Web3? My cynicism coming through? <laughs> no, it's beautiful. <laughs> Bring it. Well, yeah, what are some of the things that you're seeing that could lead Web3 astray? Greed. Look, I, I mean, the dot-com bubble was caused by greed. We got ahead of our skis a little bit. You know, I think that's, that's happening now. I think you have to have... So first off, like... You know, my day-to-day job, I'm, I'm a CTO right now. I hate the word roadmap. I've grown to despise it because anything more than 90 days out is you're kind of making it up. Yeah. You know? So like what you really want is a compass. You need that North Star. Come on. Yeah. It, you know, you got to stay directional. What what happened, I think, after the dot-com and the years out, I mean, I had people tell me I was wasting my time all up to the point when I sold my company to AOL, that's when that's when people started paying attention, right? But they, they, I was, I heard the internet was a fad, and only only child molesters and drug dealers use it, and, <laughs> you know, all the same garbage that, that wow. we hear now about Web three. And my my first, you know, business again, I ran an ISP. I used to go to you know sweet little old lady houses and help them install the software to, to help them get online. It's no different than installing a wallet now. It's hard. It's complex. You know, it's not not yet ambiguous. All that needs to change just like it changed from sort of the the 1.0 era to the 2.0 era. I don't think web3 replaces I don't think it's 2.0 versus 3.0. I think that's I think that's wrong. I think there's there's some applications where web3 makes a ton of sense. Specifically when you need to solve for trust, right? That's like web2 is about social to me and making it interactive and making everything multiplayer. Even like I mean, I remember when Venmo coming out, thinking it was the weirdest thing in the world to tell people what I was spending my money on. Right. I still don't like it, but clearly it was popular, right? Everything became social. I think where there's where there's a need to solve for trust, which is a lot of things, Web3 makes makes a ridiculous amount of sense. You know, data privacy, data portability, you know, censorship resistance. I think, um, you know, you can almost call it, I'm, I'm struggling to find the term, but almost like an inventory tracking mindset. Uh, proof of ownership where, you know, art, for instance, we talked about signed prints versus not signed prints. And I was one of these guys. I used to go around and speak at 
little conferences and stuff. And, and, you know, the information wants to be free thing was such a big part of hacker ethos and, and still kind of is, but when Napster came out and piracy sort of went mainstream, there was this like rebellious youth that was like, well, you guys just got to find new business models. Sorry. Information wants to be free. Yeah. And as an adult, I look back and like, how obnoxious was that? Right. Like all these young people telling people that the thing they do has no value. Web3 changes that in a very positive way because all of a sudden you can introduce artificial scarcity and all of a sudden you have those things that do have value. And all of a sudden artists and creatives and musicians and everyone else has a chance to monetize their life's work in a way that benefits them. It's like the internet benefited everybody except for this select group of people. And we were just like, sorry, (laughs) you know? that kind of stuff I'm, I'm rambling at this point i'm ranting a little bit but like that kind of stuff is where where i get really excited so the people say that you know web3 doesn't solve a problem and it's looking for a use case technically they might be true if they're talking about the technical implementations but if they're talking about the values they're just wrong like there, there's a lot of really 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 positive things here that we need to solve for trust and ownership being probably the two biggest yeah and as we see this moving just the way, you know, using the internet and, you know, downloading AOL for the first time might have been scary and weird. Like you said, the wallet's the same thing now. And we're only going to see more and more adoption as you're finding ownership and provenance. And and I love how art was really the first thing to kind of kick this off. Is we we, I mean Rawion and I want to give value back to artists. We are creative yeah, people right. by nature. We right. believe all people are can be artistic no matter where they are and should be compensated as such. We should reward them. And I think your art does such a good job of that because you don't come from a traditional art background, right? But yet you found a way to express yourself in this way that lots of people love. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's art. Like, and, and I shouldn't say that because art is a lot of different things, but like, you know, I came up listening to punk rock, right? <laughs> so like my point of view yeah. is like, <laughs> there's, there's a, you know, there's a spit in the face of it all kind of aspect to it of like, why can't I do this? Why shouldn't I do this? And why shouldn't people value it? And I'm not going to feel weird about it. I, I don't, I don't think many people on stacks do this. I don't set my mint prices that high. Like I, you know, if I go to a, a, the coffee shop, every morning and I look on the wall, the stuff that's on the wall costs more than the NFTs that I'm selling. And especially now that I'm, you know, providing people with prints sometimes, you know, depending on the project, but it's both. You're getting the NFT and you're getting the print. That all of that is just very blue sky and and exciting, right? That this should be the time that we celebrate it. And to see so many people trash it, I understand why. They they're trashing it because 90% of the crap that's out there are scams or pump and dumps or right or uh, fraudulent. I get it. But like early internet was that too. I mean, er, like we wiped out billions of dollars, if not more in the dot com crash, because so much of it was nonsense. Your analogy there between like the hackers of, you know, our younger generation, myself included, downloading everything from LimeWire and Napster and like ripping as much music as possible. Now here we are saying like, Yes, I want access to that, but also I want to make sure they get compensated accordingly. Right. And 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 I think some of that is I hope maybe wisdom, you know, compared to who I was when I was, when I was a kid. 
But like, I remember thinking Lars from Metallica was dead wrong and just a jerk and all this kind of stuff when he went after Napster. And like, now it's like, man, that dude saved an entire industry. Like, if it wasn't for that, I don't know if we'd have Spotify. Mm. And I know that that Spotify might not be as as good for artists as you know buying albums or, or or whatever but i think it's an evolution in the right direction the reason we were pirating stuff is because we didn't want those physical cds and it, it was cheaper and easier and more accessible and i could hear a song immediately go to napster and find it it's as opposed to getting in my car and driving to a record store on monday when it opens right you know what i mean yeah. like we wanted the convenience and now that we have you know maybe maybe that's Maybe that's why we're more mature about the whole thing. I mean, and Web2 taught us that we could all be creative and that we yeah. saw so many yeah, yeah. people make money just right. posting themselves online about what they're eating or cooking and or this and that or something to share. <laughs> right, right. And influencer culture went through the roof. And now with Web3, I'm seeing this and I'm like, this is a place where we can monetize on a deeper level and build a community around something. I don't know. I think there's an evolution here that I'm excited about Web3. I don't know how this conversation got about Web3. Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's me being an old man ranting about stuff. We love it. <laughs> I love it. We love it. <laughs> That's my bad. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. So with your art, right? You, um, you mentioned the book. You sent the book to me. And I, I went to the first page and went, this is awesome. And then I was like, oh, I'm over my head over here a little bit. <laughs> sure. Um, where can someone, like, how does somebody get into doing generative art this way? How can they put their toe in? Yeah, honestly, if you just Google p5.js, there's tutorials all over the place. And and a lot, of, especially, you know, early generative stuff you can look at. That's that's the type of stuff that I prefer. But if you want the more modern stuff, you know, you can go to a site like fxhash.xyz. That's probably the most vibrant of the generative communities right now artblocks.io is considered sort of the gold standard. That's where Fidenza and, and you know those collections are. And you can just see what people are doing. You, if, if you're technical, you can figure out how to view the source code of a lot of that stuff. It renders it in an iframe. Then sometimes you can kind of backwards engineer it depending on how compl complex it is to see what techniques they're using. But there, there's just a wealth of, of tutorials. And, and what I would stress is like, don't worry about being the most photorealistic thing or, you know, whatever. I, I think we're in that, you know, the way I would explain it is like when a caveman first showed up with a brush, people were like, oh my God, did you see what that brush could do? And eventually it became more about the brush. And then it, it almost, it probably, if I were to chart it, it probably got more complex and photorealistic before it went to minimalism, right? It's like at some point we started to go backwards. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would suggest that people shouldn't be intimidated by by some of the crazier stuff going on, and instead they should really focus on those core ideas that they're trying to express. and And you can you can go a long way pretty easily with a framework like P five. There, there's a bunch of different frameworks. Some of them are you know in, in all different languages or whatever. So there, there's tools for everybody, but uh, P five is usually what I recommend. All right, I took notes. Said, don't be intimidated. Just try it, <laughs> and then hang out with Alex online. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there where, you go. Where can people yeah. hang out with you online? So I am in Discord from time to time. I do have my own for, for this project, code.art. If you go, that's the domain, code.art. Uh, there is a Discord channel for it. The goal of that, and again, this is sort of a hobby project, so it's it's taking me a minute, but is to build a site that a, that helps people get involved in generative art. I want to have you know resources on there to 
to help people get started, you know, build it all the way to even a basic mint functionality. But we're going to start slow. Reinvention is a project I had referenced a couple times. We have part two of that coming up, which is an interactive mint where people can can use it as like a creator tool to come up with their own, which will be really, really cool. But yeah, that's my that's my code art dot art plug. Yeah, and I'm really excited for all of your sketchbook stuff coming out. I'll be watching that yes. very intently. Yeah, Alex, Alexander, alexander.btc. Alex, good to have you on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for dropping in and listening to Airdrop. If you want to know more about Alexander and his creative work, work we... <laughs> blip, 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 blip. If you want to know more about Alexander and his creative work, we put links in the description where you can find all that good stuff. Yeah, and make sure you follow Airdrop on Twitter at Airdrop Show. And please, please, please rate and review the podcast. It's really going to help more people find us so that we can all learn more about NFTs together. Thanks for dropping in this week. We'll see you next week. And remember, like Walt Disney said, we keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things because we're curious. And curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. Mm-hmm.